Welcome to Season 2, Episode 32 of The MN Corner. I'm Brad Rothschild. And I'm Stephen Cook. Stephen. Yes, sir. We've made it through another week, barely. Barely. This is Episode 32. We're taking care of Amen Corner business here. 32 of Season 2. Our Republic is hanging on by a thread. (laughs) Well, last week was Pardon Week. And this and week this is, week is trade let's war, destroy, war, and let's fight let's with destroy, our closest allies week. Let's destroy the, the <laughs> North Atlantic Alliance. <laughs> do you remember because when? Do you remember when the black guy was president? And um, I do remember. And, those were those were dark times, according and, to some and, people. And he would, and people would freak out because he wasn't being nice to our allies. And, oh, yeah. and the ally that they were most freaked out about that he wasn't being nice to was Israel. But meanwhile, he was giving Israel uh, every weapon, every <laughs> security, cooperation, intel. But I mean, you talk to like objective Israeli observers and they oh. would say, I mean, Israelis, they'd say, no, no, no. He's really good for what's called the qualitative military. Edge. But nevertheless. Right. The military cooperation had never been higher than under Obama. Right. But he didn't feel Israel in his kishka. Oh, I hate that. I hate that so much. Yeah. I hate it. I hate it. I that's like almost as that's worse than when people say boots on the ground. It gives me it makes me it's like scratching a, a, a chalkboard when people say Are you saying are you saying that Kishka gives Kishka give you indigestion? No, it's the, <laughs> very funny. It's like he doesn't feel it in the kishka. Um yeah. well, and so and so people went bananas that President Obama wasn't yeah. nice to America's allies, but he was nice to America's adversaries. Now let's right. fast forward Which to June nice 8th, 2018. And the President of the United States, the current President of the United States, is <laughs> on his way to Quebec City to attend the meeting of the G7. Beautiful city. Beautiful city. Beautiful city. And he is engaged in a Twitter war with the Canadian Prime Minister and the French President. Stop. And... Stop. Stop. Yes. Let's rewind that last sentence. Okay. He's engaged... He's engaged in a, in a Twitter, Twitter war. <laughs> I mean... Our President is engaged in a Twitter war I, with the Prime Minister of Canada, Canada and the President of France. And let okay, me point I'm sorry. out... I'm sorry. Look, Go on. And, and then, before getting on the helicopter, he says, we should really have Russia back in the G7 and make it the G8 again. Russia was right. thrown out of the G8, what was then the G8. Right. After it invaded Russia invaded Crimea and right. annexed it to Russia. Right. But let's just give them... Entry back into G eight. <laughs> so if that's while at the same time we're gonna bash our trade closest allies, closest Canada. allies, it's Canada because, because somehow they're putting one over on us. <laughs> they're all putting one over on us. I I seem to remember the extraordinary amount of kindness and compassion and solidarity on the yeah. part of the Canadian people during September eleventh. Mm. Um, France is, according to people who know, probably our best counterterrorism ally. Um, as I tweeted yesterday, the British have stood with us in every war that we fought since World War One, including the stupid ones. So, like, yeah. what is going on here? 
Well, the guy is an oligarch. No, but he's being—he's—he's he's being mean to our allies. He is and being mean to our allies. He's being nice to our adversaries. How come the Republican Party isn't having a goddamn meltdown? I don't understand he, it. Because he's popular <laughs> with their voting base, so they're afraid to upset their base. And you know who their base is? It's a bunch of people who have been left behind. Uh, in the post-Cold War order. And they're angry. So you know what? They don't care what apple cart he's going to turn over. I want to add another one. No matter what is happening, they're the ones who are getting screwed, and somehow, in their warped view of the world, (laughs) he's standing up for them. I want to add another one. Vladimir Putin, to many of these people, is saving the world from liberal multiculturalism Right. And saving Christian civilization, especially from the Muslims. Yeah. So, white supremacy <laughs> is back in power. Oh, my God. Do you remember you were talking a few minutes ago about how Twitter angry... How, no, before the Twitter war started, about how angry people would get at Obama. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, right. Remember how angry people got at Obama when he wore a tan suit? <laughs> He wore a tan yeah. suit, and like Sean Hannity's head, head exploded off of his neck. <laughs> I wore yet, a tan suit the day after. It's just in solidarity. Yet, nobody says boo <laughs> when the President of the United States gets up and says, why isn't Russia back in the G8? We should put them back in the G8. Oh, that's fine. As and long as you're not wearing a tan suit. With the Canadians. Do you know, I once had... Um, I was once up in uh, in Ottawa and I was doing some briefings and I um, I had coffee with my host before they took me to the airport and he, the, the ho- my host was like the Canadian equivalent of the Assistant Secretary of State for Near East and that's like that's a very important position and so this guy was very serious dude in the Canadian Foreign Ministry and so I said to him I was like you know what's the What's the Canadian, you know, foreign policy process? You know, how do you guys view the world in, in, in contrast to the way, you know, we do things and so on and so forth? And he said, well, look, I got to be honest with you. You know, we, we make a big deal about human rights and this and that and the other thing. He said, but when something's happening in the world, we sit down around the table and we say, all right, this is what's happening. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, what are the Americans doing? And someone says what the Americans are doing, like, okay, we'll do what the Americans are doing. I mean, these are, these are our allies. These are the guys wow. who are like, okay. Which is really interesting d- because the way they're doing it now is Trump is waking up and saying, what do I feel like doing today? And that's our foreign policy. And then, right. of course, you have people who back him who are like, well, what would Jesus do? Because that would be, that should be our foreign policy. Well, <laughs> right. There's, that's the Mike Pence wing of <laughs> exactly. our foreign policy. And then there's exactly. Trump who's just like, he's like a, a drunken idiot. Well, he's I mean, not drunk. I, he doesn't drink, but he's like, he acts like a drunken idiot. Like, what stupid thing can I do today? He's got to be the least curious and dumbest person who has ever held this office. Uh, it's, he's it's, not it, smart. It is beyond comprehension. Smart. It is beyond comprehension what this guy is it's like. It's certainly beyond his comprehension <laughs> because he can't <laughs> comprehend exactly. anything. But I mean, and, and you know, I'm not 
coming on here and insulting his supporters and calling them uneducated and stupid. I'm not. I'm calling him. Well, since he won every demographic of white people, including right. college-educated white people. That's right. I'm calling. They're him not all educated, stupid, right? I'm calling him educated but stupid. Right. He's dumb as a rock. Right. Except that, he's a brilliant self-promoter. It's it is it is beyond comprehension, and beyond grasp at the disconnect between his just abject kind of lack of curiosity about the world, his unwillingness to read anything unless it's about himself, and quite honestly, his deft political touch with his base. I mean, these are things that these are things that are playing extremely well with his supporters. Right, uh, because his supporters want to see everything overturned. Right. Everything. Let's just tear they're it down. Victims, they're victims here, right? right? They, they're they angry. And you know what? They have a right to be angry because they have been left behind. But they're not putting their eggs into the right basket now. They're not following the right leader. This <laughs> guy doesn't have their interests in heart, and he's not going to improve their I know. lives I have one a friend, bit. I have a friend who did election canvassing for, for uh, Secretary Clinton like in Western Pennsylvania or something like that. And, you know, the Clinton team, they had this, you know, very detailed plan for, you know, job training and adult education and the new economy and so on and so forth. And when they said to people when they were canvassing, you know, Clinton has all these ideas and here they are. And they said, yeah, no, we don't care. We're going back to the coal mines, steel, steel mills. It's crazy. But these people are getting hurt. Let me give you an example how Americans are being hurt. Our willingness to slap tariffs on products like durable goods, like appliances, is raising the price by an average of $500 on a washing machine, on a dishwasher. But we're we're winning because we're we're showing them. We're showing them. And then you're, you're completely screwed because actually... Those Korean dishwashers, those Korean refrigerators, they're much better than the crap made by Whirlpool. Now, if Whirlpool actually had to compete with LG, they might build a better product. Rather, their business model is to build a mediocre product that breaks down but but sell you extended warranties which are very expensive. That and to lobby Congress and this president who are you know, sensitive to it and supportive of slapping tariffs on uh, on higher quality Korean goods. Foreign goods, yeah. And that is how average Americans are completely screwed. They're paying well, fa- an average of $500 more for a durable good that is of less quality and then being badgered by the manufacturer of the lower quality American-made good to buy extended warranties. It's absurd. But it all plays well to the base because they're buying American and they're supporting America. 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 We're winning. Somehow, in their warped view, he doesn't even understand basic economics. (laughs) This whole, like, we're we're the trade imbalance and we're selling more, we're buying more from them than them, we're we're getting our clocks cleaned. Like, no, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. The whole... International economic system. Dude, he's a businessman. He has created. a business empire. Hold he's on. a billionaire. He understands Hold it's on. better than you. What? This whole economic system the, that we are currently living under and benefiting from. Who created it? 
America. The United, the United States. Who has benefited the most from it? America. Why are we destroying it? Because mm, we're pissed off. Because we have we're, people we're who having have been a, left we're behind. We're having a temper tantrum. Because the people who have been left behind, instead of being told, okay, we need to retrain, we need to re-educate, nope. We're going to blame somebody else, and we're going to tell you that you can have everything that you think you once had. Well, listen to what listen to what the, this great titan of capitalism and industry, and he's going to and, and the GOP is going to go along with it. They're now going to force, or at least this is a proposal on the table. They're going to force utilities, and this is again. I'm, I mean, I'm pivoting from the international economics, but this is the party of free markets and free enterprise. They want to force utilities to buy a certain amount of coal-produced energy. So coal is collapsing, even though whatever it is that they did earlier on in the administration, which now I cannot even remember because so much insanity has happened since, that... I can't even remember what happened this morning. Well, they did. I don't remember. Whatever the legislation was to, like, save coal or something like that, but... Save the three hundred. All these new power plants that are fired by natural gas are coming online. They're much more efficient. So no one wants to use these coal-fired plants. But they want to make it that so that the utilities have to buy a certain percentage of coal fire of, of electricity from coal-fired plants in order to save coal. How many people work in the coal industry at this point? Like seventy thousand? Yeah, not that many. So even with all of their efforts earlier on to save coal. It's collapsing. Everybody predicted this was going to be the case. It's not competitive. It's dirty. But these paragons of free markets are yeah, free market saving the real, city. authentic Americans rather than right, that's it. That's rather it. than Somehow. preparing people for the future so that they get left behind again, so that they can play on these fears again because it's a terrific winning political narrative. Holy Somehow shit. Somehow they've convinced themselves and the political class that they are the only true Americans. That people who live in the big cities on the coast, they're not real Americans. Minorities, nope. they're not real Americans. Right. Just white Christian men right. are real Americans. If you're, cr- if you're curious about the world, cigarettes. you're not a real American. Isn't that amazing? I guess Anthony Anthony Bourdain was not a real not American. Not a real American. In their view. No. Nope. Yeah. How could he be? He was half Jew and he was from New Jersey. <laughs> and his his... Father was a classical music executive. His mother was, I can't remember, he spent two years at Vassar, dropped out, and then ended up getting yeah, a degree from the Culinary Institute. I think his mother was in publishing. Yeah. Like in, in an office. So he was curious. Office, I, uh, by the way, that has completely freaked yeah. me out, the whole Bourdain thing. It's horrible. It's Dude, horrible. it's terrible. It's sad. And it's amazing how many people he touched. You know, when... When David Bowie died and when Prince died, like you see right. all these people who post things online and everybody whose whose lives are impacted by their music, and it's a lot. But I feel like people really felt like they knew Anthony Bourdain and they connected with him. Right. Well, I think this is like because his medium was painful for a lot of people. Yeah, uh, his medium yeah. was food. He had this yeah. uncanny ability to connect with people. He didn't. He was a he, real he, folksy guy and cool at the same time. He treated everybody with tremendous amount of respect. He told it as it yeah. was. That was one of the things that really attracted to me to the program. In addition to the you know the wanderlust and a, him having traveled to places where I've been or places that I'd like to go, 
um, was he gotten he he had conversations with people, treated everybody with respect, and it was over. Yeah, like I said, the medium of food, which is a really kind of interesting and intimate way to get people to open up, and I thought it was. It was very, very interesting, and he was very upfront about his views of things. He he didn't he, he didn't he didn't hold back. He was, he was kind genuine. of unreconstructed in his liberalism. Yeah, he was a genuine, yeah. genuine the, human being. The thing the thing is, like, uh, yes, it's about you know connecting with people over food and what you said about traveling to these places that you've been or you wanted to go. But he was never the type of guy who put on airs and was like. Oh, right. I'm going to show you the finest five star restaurants. No, right. he likes street food. He likes exactly. Food. You know, he wanted to connect with people, right? And there's something really powerful. About it is. That. It's absolutely true. I mean, I had you know my my friends, some of my elitist friends in Egypt always are like, "Why would you eat koshri? Koshri is yeah. this kind." Of, I'm like, "What are you talking about? I exactly. love going to these places and sitting down and exactly. ordering this giant bowl of this stuff and just like hanging out." And it, he, re, Bourdain really spoke to me. But I, I, what's amazing is the kind of outpouring um, and sadness over his his untimely death. And I wonder, it, it's good, you know, we're in our echo chamber, you know, our Twitter feed, our Facebook feed, and so on and so forth. I wonder if he touched people beyond folks like us who, who do have a, a curiosity about the world. Because... At the same, you know, we're sitting here. We rail on the Trump base, and that they're yeah. they're angry. They live in their own bubble, and so on and so forth. But you do see things that are happening out there, and I don't want to get carried away with it. Where there are people who understand how screwed up this is, allegedly yeah. in Trump land. I mean, I, I texted you this morning about this woman in Montana who yeah. is now the it's Democratic nominee, and she's gonna she's gonna run against um, what's his name. Greg uh, Gianforte. The guy who beat up the, yeah. the Guardian the reporter. Uh, reporter. Yeah. And, and, you know, she she won, and she barely won, but she won based on the fact that, you know, she ran very hard on the issue of health care. Something Gianforte yeah. didn't want to didn't want to touch because Montana's a red state. And yeah. she and she beat the Democratic nominee. Now she's going to go toe to toe with this guy, John Forte. I hope he doesn't beat her up. But I think that there, I sometimes you know I'm I've been so upset about the state of our politics. I do think, and I, I and this is the only thing that I feel positive about is that if you go back to 2004. When Barack Obama said, this isn't the red states of America, it's not the blue states of America, it's the purple states of America. It's mm-hmm. the United States of America. He didn't say purple, but that's what I mean. That's what he meant. And I, I think that you know, we, have, we have extremists, particularly on the right, who, have, who benefit from this very stark difference. Uh, and it's this kind of classic thing where extremists on, on either ends, on fringes, pull you apart and you highlight those differences between red and blue when I think many more people would prefer to have, you know, bipartisan deal-making, getting stuff done. Uh, one of the people except, interviewed in this article... I'd like, to see, I'd like to see leadership like that on the other side. I, I mean, I don't well, see... Well, I, I think that's right, and I think that you know if if the Democrats in a big capital I capital F give a spanking 
to the uh, uh, to the to to Republicans this time out, you may find that. Look at what's happened in Virginia. For You're overly optimistic. From two thousand. No, no, I'm not really being optimistic. Maybe I'm, not, maybe I'm overly pessimistic, but I'm not even sure. That they're going to give a spanking. No, to I'm not sure either. Because I'm not sure they're going to be allowed to give a spanking to no, the no, Republicans. No, no, That's I, totally given. Totally given. And we've talked about that. That there's going to be voter suppression, all kinds I mean, of nefarious knows? activities. It, it could be that this is the last. You know, we've already passed the last free right. and real election I, that we that we're ever going to have. I totally get what you're saying, but I'm also looking at what's happened next door in Virginia. Yeah. So the Democrats did very, very well since 2010. They have absolutely, the Republicans in Virginia have adamantly on principle opposed, have been opposed to giving poor people health care. They will not expand Medicaid. It was like, it was crazy. This is what they thought was a winning issue was to, was to prevent poor people from getting access to health care. And the Democrats did very well. And all of a sudden, of course, there's some lunatic holdouts, but all of a sudden, all these Republican state legislatures are voting to give 400,000 people uh, in Virginia who didn't have health care, health care. I, I think well, that's probably the best possible, best possible. I don't I, think it's going to happen. I, I think there's right. too many extremists out there. Um, but, but just to just to pivot back for a minute to Bourdain. Yeah. Um, I also think, I, I, I hope you're right what you're saying, but just to pivot back, um, I also think that part of the reason that people were so impacted yeah. is that because he committed suicide. Right, right. And because here you have, by every reasonable measure, somebody who is successful. Uh, beyond anybody's seemed, wildest dreams. Who seemed like a happy person. That, right. Who was, had overcome who was doing, his own demons. Was, right. The world was, was his doing, oyster. He had fame, he had fortune, what he wanted travel, to do in right. life. Right. Who had a great life on TV, traveling to all these exotic places and meeting cool people and doing his thing right. and getting paid for it and being the man. And if that guy right. is so has the you know such darkness in his soul that he kills himself, like what about the rest of us? Well, you know, I was reading something yesterday and talking about it and said Bourdain saw the world in a, in, a, in a particular way, in a particularly clear way. And you can tell by the way he talked about things and, where, and, and how, how upfront he was about injustice that he saw around the world and didn't flinch right. from it. And that when there's so much that's terrible out there that sometimes people just snap and they, and, and they see the world and they see just the horrors of the human condition and they don't want to carry on. I think, you know, I was watching CNN yesterday, uh, fake news CNN yesterday. Failing fake news CNN, yeah. And some of the anchors who obviously knew him well were talking about how lonely life on the road can be. Well, right. And he traveled a lot. Right. And he was in hotels all the time. Right. And he was away from his family. Right. And he had a nomadic existence. And, you know, that takes a toll. No, look, I I don't have anywhere... Close to the number of days that Anthony Bourdain has on, on on airplanes. However, I will note I, I will note that when I'm traveling, I, I, the I, I'm it's interesting, it's fascinating, it's exciting. There's things that I'm doing that you know, wow, this is incredible. 
I count my meals till I can come home. Yeah, you miss your family. I just want to be with the women in my life. Exactly. I, I, I travel and I, you know, interview interesting people and see cool things. And like I, you and I are are blessed that when we travel. We're not flying into a hotel and right. by the airport and right. then flying back, but we actually get to experience the places that we go to. Right. And you're right; it's awesome. But at the same time, you're going back to the hotel by yourself at night. Right. You're waking up alone in the morning. Right. And, and I don't sleep well in hotels at all. You know all. what? I actually, I don't even when I sleep out, not in my bed. I yeah. never take my watch off. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like a weird thing that I have that like I always need to know like that I have my watch on me just in case I'm disoriented and right. don't know where I am or what I time keep, it is. But I keep one thing on East Coast time zone and I keep the other device on wherever yeah. I, wherever I am. It's, yeah, for me, it's just I need to just have some sort of orientation. Right. Like, okay, where am I and what right. time is it? And I, I, it's I, I, weird. It's really weird right. not being with your family. Right. And, you know, FaceTime is amazing. And think about, like, how blessed we are that we can talk to, right. to our but it's family not the same. away. It's not the same. It's totally not the same. So, and he had a daughter who right. is a teenager, I think, maybe even younger. Um, I can't remember not, how old she is. I think she's a teenager. I think so. See, for some reason, the number 11 is sticking in my head. But, mm. um, you know, when you're not there for their stuff, right. always, it's right. not like you miss one thing. It's like you're missing everything. Right. That's right. So That's right. I think, so, yeah, I, I mean, who knows? But, but nobody knows. Every, every human being is an unknowable universe right. unto themselves. Yeah. It's, and that's just it's, a fact. It kind of shook me to the core yesterday, though. For all the reasons that we point we pointed out, this is a guy who had seemingly from the outside just the pinnacle, and he was in addition to the fact of just being like the man. I uh, the last one of the parts unknown that I saw was he did one from Armenia, and yeah. um, he traveled to Nagorno Karabakh, which is this Armenian enclave within within uh, Azerbaijan, and it was just. It was one of the best ones that he had done. It's not just because it was a cool place, but the people he talked to, the the the, the sensitivities in, in, in the way in which he described the conflict between Azerbaijan and the Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh. It was just just an interesting guy who had that that spark and that curiosity about the world. Um, and yeah. you really and, and was like curious felt about it. other people, right? Who wasn't other people, afraid, right? Who wasn't afraid of other people, right? He Unlike under, the current right. president of the United States, who seems Unlike to be like the climate in this country, he was right. not afraid of people who were not like him. He wanted to know them and understand right. them. And at the at the end of the day, he was just like them. Right. They were just like him. Right. They're just like us. We're just like them. There's no difference. Right. We, you know. And that's really what it boils down to. When you sit down with somebody and you have a meal with them, they become human. And I guess human. that was one of the attractions of sitting down and watching his, his program was that, you know, we live in a political environment now where there's so much hostility towards the other, the black, the yeah. brown, the, the, the person who, who worships in a different way. And he treated everybody with respect and was gen- seemed genuinely curious about who they were. And what did he come... What was his conclusion? They're just like us. 
Exactly. And so it was sort of validation for the inauthentic Americans like us who've been to places and have a, a similar kind of curiosity and have discovered that, wow, there's all these different things about us. But when it, you boil, it boils down to it, we're all pretty much in the, in the same place and, and we all the want day, the same things. At the end of the day, we all want to sit and eat dumplings. Right. Oh. That's what we want. Lauren read that he was like he, you know, he he loved all these very you know different kinds of cuisines and in one of the remembrances they did on CNN last night they had him sitting at this table of cheese and he was like a kid in a candy candy store. But what his true love she read was was Vietnamese food and um, oh, he loved it. He, he, he loved had Vietnam. he had Vietnamese food with Obama. Yeah, you know, I and saw that, I saw that episode. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. He was a cool guy. Right. And, and, and if a cool got, guy kills himself... he got Obama to come sit where he wanted to go. Right. But if when a cool guy like that kills himself, like it resonates with right. you because you feel like, you know, what's what about the rest of us? Right. Right. Well. I'm sad. Yeah. We should be sad. It's sad. It's yeah. a sad thing. It's very sad. Sad thing. Anyway. What else we got? What else we have? I don't think we got much more. I, I mean, can we talk about anything after we talk about Anthony Bourdain? No, I think we need to uh, start to tease out to our audience um, something similar that we have in the works. Uh, yeah, we do. When we talk about Anthony Bourdain. Right. So we're going to just leave it there. We're going to leave it there. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's a good idea. There. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right, everybody. All that's right. episode 32. Thanks for listening. We're out. Take it easy.